Tennessee Musical Theater Performers Facebook group. I'm here with some regular performers who are as talented as <laughs> Mara and Elena. Thank you so much, you two, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh my gosh, you guys have no idea the talent in this room. I've <laughs> <laughs> had them in quite a few readings. I miss you guys. I miss you guys in the reading. Don't tell me you're not in one. I miss you. All right. So I wanted them to pop on because they are doing something so great to help illuminate black artists. Would you two mind just giving me a backstory first that got you to where you are now? You can do one at a time. Mara, you go first. Sure. So, um, Elena and I are classmates. We um, both got our MFAs from the University of Florida. Finally, we made it through. Um, and yay! So one of the things that we noticed in our training and our training before we got to the University of Florida was that it was very whitewashed. Um, we're very proud black women and we love our craft. And we were finding that a lot of our training um, was centered around white work that was written by white males and then when we went out, out into auditions we realized that a lot of work was also centered around white males or there were white people in the uh that were making decisions in casting and so we were like well, there's got to be a way for us to be true to ourselves who we are as women as well as uh bring joy to our craft um bring purpose to that and that's kind of where ghost light came from so um elena and i are very spiritual and of course uh, Everybody in the everybody already knows the ghost light is in the theater at night, so that the spirits of the theater can uh, perform and they can roam and they can be uh, free and happy and they're able to perform. So that's kind of um, our that's why we chose the the theme ghost light mm -hmm. and that's why we decided to make it all about um, a, a podcast for the culture. So we analyze plays written by black playwrights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, Lena. Yeah. <laughs> I need to put on my mic. But I would love for you to answer the same question, but maybe add a little bit of a different perspective, maybe a bit of your story getting to where you are now. Sure. Um, well, Mariah, we always knew that we wanted to develop a podcast. We always knew uh, that we had a lot to say. Um, so it was just a matter of figuring out um, our niche and where we fit uh what kind of, what, what new discussion could we bring to the table what are we passionate about what is something that we you know don't mind talking about week to week to week to week and of course it always uh, came back to theater theater is what brought us together right um and you know what we our friendship and what we bonded over um and so then it was just a matter of taking that idea and moving it um to the next level, uh, the, when the discussion came about, you know, not long after the, I like to call it the resurge of the civil rights movement that came after, you know, um, rest in peace, the death of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And uh, a lot of the artists that we admire and adore on Broadway started saying, hey, you know what, we're all in quarantine while I've been sitting here, come to think of it, the great white way is just that. And um, we don't feel seen, we don't feel heard, um, we don't feel supported. And so we were just like, you know what? Us too. So let's, you know, add to that conversation. Um, a lot of the, as we got into developing the podcast and figuring out what plays we wanted to do, I personally had like came to the harsh reality that a lot of these playwrights that we were discussing and, and, and discovering, um, 
I would not have like our very first episode. We, you know, talk about uh, the play Funny House of a Negro by Adrienne Kennedy. Classic black play, classic black playwright. Never would have known about her had we not done independent research. Independent research and the work that we did for this show. The fact we that we have a terminal degree in theater. Right. And I did not know this. Here it is. I have a master's degree, and I had no idea. You know, Funny House of a Negro by Dream Kennedy is a play that was in the theater for the absurd genre. Here it is. I have a whole master's degree from, you know, one of the most, you know, one of the prestigious universities in the country. And I, I didn't know that. Um, I had no idea past the Colored Museum, past uh, Spell Number Seven, my knowledge and, you know, other contemporary, you know, playwrights um, or plays such as like Ain't No Mo. Um, I had no idea what my people, my, you know, what uh, the words of my people in our culture and how they contributed to theater history. And I was like, um, if I don't know, I'm sure there are, we both were like, well, if I didn't know, then I'm sure there are plenty of others who didn't. So, uh, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's great because we are able to tell our own stories. And yeah. so when you read plays that are telling the black story or the black narrative and it's written by a white person, like that's a not, that's not an authentic story versus when you're reading a play that's written by a black playwright, it's, it's their life is something that you can actually relate to. It's something that, um, you don't have to play. You actually can live and breathe through those characters because it's something that we, we deal with on everyday life. We've hit a lot of plays that have had harder topics, especially, um, because of the revolution, because of the movement. So we've been doing a lot of plays that have, um, had, themes that correlate with the movement. But I think that there's so much to learn from these plays. And I think that um, our goal is not only for black people to celebrate themselves, but for other people to read plays written by players and have a deeper understanding, especially about what it is to be black in America, what it is to be a black artist in America, what it is to have a life here in America and try to thrive. Yeah. 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 And also just to know, because I'm only aware of what we're taught in theater school myself and to just be exposed of, oh, that's out there. It makes me think of uh, this. Uh, one of my friends who's black had explained this to me because uh, I said to her, I said, why is it? I was like, it's weird. I said, I don't have a lot of black friends. I have some black friends, but I don't. And I was right. like, and she was saying, that's kind of just the nature of what happens in this world, you know, and because I, I was trying to get people to volunteer to go sing in hospitals. And uh, we uh, were about to get on Good Morning America. And I was really trying to make it diverse. I was like, I don't know people. I was like, what? I was like, this is bad. And so she helped me post in another group because I was trying to get not white people, honestly. But I didn't want to say that in the writing because I'm a white person posting it. Right. And, um, and that alone, it's interesting how that translates to plays where I'm thinking, oh, there's no plays about black people out there, but there are. Oh, and yeah. You guys are covering it. I mean, you are literally feeding for free a solution to a, oh, it doesn't exist problem. Which yeah. Is so, so valuable. Yeah, I think that that's kind of why we decided to do this. Um, mm -hmm to say that we are talented, we are whole. Um, a lot of people think of the performing arts and there's there's a hierarchy when it comes to the performing arts. There's like the producer, the people that have a lot of money and they make all the decisions. And because they're rich white people, they 
don't, they pretty much only have rich white friends and they, they're only in these communities that foster uh, white playwrights. So when it comes to diversity, they, they, it's lacking, especially when it comes to those shows getting funding and getting produced. So our hope is that we're talking about playwrights. A lot of them, we've covered some that are like, we've covered one that's like an old head that is, you know, really established themselves. But we're also talking about a lot of playwrights that are very new that aren't, um, their plays aren't being produced as much. And so how do we make sure that maybe us saying these things and us talking about these plays help funding, help the producers that have all the money fund these plays so that they can go to Broadway, so that they can go to Off-Broadway and then gain funding to be on Broadway. So how do we make sure that we are active in creating art that is universal? Right. And absolutely. Yeah. And I think also it's just a matter of, um, you know, inspiring Black artists to want to, you know, tell their own stories. And I think a lot of the things that we've been discussing is debunking, um, that's it necessarily debunking, but breaking down the actual, the role of the producer and, 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 you know, what the producer, you know, does. I think a lot of people don't understand that. And a lot of, um, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that usually producers aren't necessarily theater people. They're they are, people. they are business people and they are, you know, businessmen and women who have an affinity for theater, but they aren't necessarily like thespians, you know what I mean? Like, um, in the sense of the word that, you know, we, uh, all agree on and I think that hopefully you know through what we're doing we will inspire you know uh, black artists in the community to want to step into that role of producer and let's start um, uplifting these black playwrights and let's start uh, taking control of the narrative and telling these stories that are written by us and for us yeah the producer taking off their high hat and bringing in somebody who is black. Right. And, because, and, and not, not as a consultant, as the decider. Exactly. I think that um, something that Elena and I discuss on the podcast is a lot is um, having black casting directors, um, having uh, black directors, having black producers. But one of the things is um, theater is a privileged world. Um, Lena's mother is an artist and my mom is an occupational therapist that like found the arts for me to be in but it's it's a privileged world and even finding internships and getting your way in this is a business of who you know um, when it especially when it comes to the business side of theater when it comes to um, being a producer and a casting director or something like that that's all about who you know mm-hmm. and a lot of like I know Elena and I both had to do internships for our, our MFA and when it came to finding an internship, a lot of these are unpaid. How do you get, but it's a referral type of business. But if you come from an underserved community, how can you afford to take an internship? Say you got an internship in New York. How can you afford to take that internship and not work for an entire semester mm-hmm. and then be on that list of referred people? If you don't have the money to sustain yourself in New York or any major city, then how can you then get those references so that you can move up the ladder in theater? So we have we have a hope for the future of theater like we hope that internships will soon turn into apprenticeships so that people of color that may come from disadvantaged communities are able to get their foot in the door and are able to find these connections and are able to um walk through the door and open the door a little bit wider so that the next person can walk through as well Mm -hmm. um i think that that's kind of our those are our main goals we want to inspire other people to inspire other people (laughs) i think you're doing that now you are you are doing it 
and also getting um, putting theater in the hands of members of our community who necessarily probably would not have access. You know, the I think mean, it was Viola Davis who said that the only difference between you know, women who look like me and, you know, getting to those things on the other side is opportunity. And the truth is, um, you know, not just in the professional realm, but also getting down into theater education. Um, we all know that arts budgets uh, within public the public school system um, across the country are being, you know, slashed in half. And unfortunately, there are uh, certain members of our community who, probably would love to be a part of theater and want to add to this art form. We have uh, future Langston Hughes and future Lorraine Hansberry's and, you know, the list goes on, but they, because they don't have access to this thing called theater, simply will never uh, be a part of it. If you look at, especially on the collegiate level of what it takes to get into a theater program, the process of auditioning, it is systematically set up for people who are not of a certain privilege to, to fail. And yeah. if you don't have money to pay for regular voice lessons, you know, right. like if you don't have the money to pay for regular dance lessons, regular acting, uh, that is a huge privilege. I could not agree with that more. So if there are people are auditioning where they could develop those school, those skills easily in school. Yeah. It's at a loss for them. You're so right. Yeah. And I think that, um, also, when you just go back even even further, like if you're looking through just K through 12 and getting students involved in the arts went K through 12, like there was this big push for uh, STEM programs, but then there's this counter push for why is it called STEM programs and why aren't we having them STEAM programs where arts is- Wait, can they explain what STEM programs are? I don't so know STEM program is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And they were like, if it's a STEM program, it's great. But then there's a fight back and it's like, no, they should be STEAM programs. So science, technology, engineering arts and mathematics so that should be the standard of schools and a lot of people are like well that doesn't make any sense but it does um learning how to draw if you're taking like a, a drawing class that can help you in the future of becoming an engineer if you'd like learning music helps you in math and a lot of especially k-12 programs are not willing to fund these uh to fund art programs so how are these students going to be able to um, develop their skills. I know that I know somebody that I went to performing arts camp with and he didn't go into the theater, but he became an amazing lawyer, like just, just past the bar. That, that is a product of being in the arts program at a very young age. That is a product. And then I have another friend who was, um, amazing poet, but now is the CEO of his own comic company. Didn't he's not performing anymore? But these fundamental skills that you get in the arts, especially at K through twelve, if the government, if the government will just spend the money to foster these creative endeavors for students, how we're creating a generation of smarter, kinder, more um, intelligent people that can find ways to just make the world a better place. <laughs> right, and I, I, think that's, yeah. I think when people think about the arts, the performing arts, they think that um, when artists such as, our, uh, as ourselves and, and you say that we need to put more funding into the arts, they think that we're just trying to create a whole generation of like singers, dancers, writers. A whole bunch of hippies. Yeah, a whole bunch of hippies <laughs> and, nothing else, and, you know, and nothing else, which there would be nothing wrong with that. I would love to live in a, in a hippie, why not? But it's also about what that chord, uh, strikes 
in you. Um, who knows that there could be someone that just because you put a script in their hands and they are like reading a play about you know Thurgood Marshall or, or whoever else, or um, and might decide, you know, read that and say like, wait a second, there's that representation of a, a black attorney. That, that there's that story about, you know, um, a black doctor. There's that story about, um, I don't know, that black uh, rocket science. It's like, look at when, um, we have that um, the movie featuring Janelle Monae and Octavia um, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. We have this, the story of Hidden Figures, and we see this story about three black mathematicians. How many um, young black women might not feel, and they've never seen that, or even known that you know that that is you know that even existed. existed, or is even possible that there are people that look like them. Who are in this other guy so I feel like people really take the ashramic uh, for granted also here we are in the midst of a quarantine what's getting you through what's getting you by what's helping you make it from day to day it's the artist you're sitting on Netflix you're reading these books you're listening to this music it's the artists that are keeping you healthy and happy and whole and helping you get through this horrible transition and now I feel like the conversation is is changing or if it's not it needs to about the value of artistry and the performing arts beyond just, you know, singing and dancing and, and, and playing instruments. Right. Our contribution, the artistry, artistry and its contribution to society and, and pushing us forward. Um, is and, and, you know, we want to add to that conversation. I love it. It's mental health. Mental yeah. freaking health. To be able to perform, even if you are a lawyer and know how to play the saxophone at the end of the day, that is a thing. It is extremely valuable. Like yeah. there's a lot of studies on that. So yeah, I see a lot of when it comes to art therapy, music therapy, um, and I know quite a, a dance therapy. Hmm. Um, and you see that, and that's developed. I didn't know that that existed for a very long time. Like I was like, oh, of course, when you go to therapy, they'll ask you to look at the blobs. But I had no idea that like getting a patient to draw or getting them to listen to music that actually helps your mental health. And I know that like a hope for the future in reading these plays and reading things that things that bring us joy is help our mental health. Cause Elena and I, especially on our podcast, we talk about that a lot, especially mental health in the black community um, and how that is addressed within the text that we read. Um, so I think that art is well-rounded and I think that people really limit it to, Oh, you want to be an actor. Oh, you sing and dance on stage, but they don't understand the full scope that is um, the theatrical and the artist community. Yeah. And, and, uh, I feel like our show, our podcast actually, it goes so far, you know, we, we started out just wanting to talk about theater and our culture and, and our, our, our place in theater, but it's turned into a much bigger conversation. We find ourselves talking about, you know, things like such as Mara brought up uh, mental health and how it is, you know, for the longest time, it was seen as a taboo in the African, in the black American community, African American community. Um, it's turned into a conversation about like we uh, recently on an episode talked about the black mom archetype and her role in the community and what does that mean and you know and on and on and on um i think that our podcast really highlights how theater and art can be used as a vehicle to have those conversations which is not new information you know the artists we know that but i think it's putting that out there to you know i i, I can't tell you how many uh, listeners we've had reach out to us, you know, via Instagram or, you know, in our, hopped in our email 
in our inbox and saying that like, I'm not a theater person at all, but I, I listen to your podcast, you know, week to week, not just because of this whole, you know, art form that I have not bothered to, you know, look into, but also because of the discussions that you are having. Um, and that's not just, you know, black listeners, that's, um, listeners from coming from every race, color, creed, religion, background, who are now listening to this and are also feeling like they are getting educated and learning about things and having these conversations that even we um, are nervous about, uh, about having. You know, it's, it's not easy for us to talk about those things, but we're doing it and, and, and helping others. So I think that's what's also I've found very rewarding in, in yeah. what we're doing. I love that. You literally are being the change you wish you could see in the world. You are the change. I, I love that. I think Gandhi said that. I, I, I completely appreciate you. I would love to give you one last question and I would love you to, to each have your mic drop moment. And in this mic drop moment that each of you have, you will be addressing somebody who doesn't see themselves represented in theater right now in the black community words of encouragement to help them overcome any type of imposter syndrome. Let's make, if we're gonna get really specific, let's make it somebody who is 12 to 15 years old and is looking at the potential of a future in theater and is just feeling a bit like this is quite a distant thing. All right, I'm gonna give it to Elena first in five, four, three, two, one, take it. Okay, so right now I feel, first of all, I feel like those old like commercials that used to come on TV, like you're sitting on your couch, you're wondering, what are you gonna do? No, but le legitimately you are sitting on your couch and you are, you might be looking at this and you are wondering to yourself, especially if you are a fresh graduate being that whether you are coming out of high school or whether you are coming out of college or whether you're coming out of any kind of um, degree, if you are a member of the class of 2020, you're asking yourselves, what am I going to do? What do I do? What do I fit? Um, right now there, you know, there is, there's, there's no theater. It might feel like there is no, well, there is, there's no theater. We don't know what's going to happen. Also SAG-AFTRA has not approved anyone to film. So you're wondering as a young creative, where do I fit? And I think that, you know, take your cue from us. We were all, we too were asking, where do we fit and what do we do in this, you know, post, uh, we're still in the middle. I can't even say a post pandemic world. We're still in the midst of this pandemic. What do we do? And that is when we, we built our own table and we stopped knocking, we, we've kind of, you know, I had to stop knocking at the door, waiting for someone to open the door for us. And we started, we're trying to open up the door for ourselves. We're building our own door that we can open for ourselves. We are kind of, we're now, we're content creators. And if we are, one thing we have uh, learned from highlighting this, these black artists that we are, um, that we are highlighting is that uh, control the narrative and start telling your own story. That's a play, that's a play that I want to read a play about a young black artist who is now in quarantine and trying to figure out uh, how they are going to be heard or discussing what that's like. If you are sitting right now and your experience, what you are having, that's something that someone wants to hear about. That's something, something that someone wants, uh, someone wants to read about. Do not take for granted that you matter and that you have a story and that your experience does not need to be validated by anyone. You don't have to seek justification for telling the story that you want to tell. It's true and factual for the mere fact that it is your experience. Um, and, uh, stop waiting. 
for someone to make room for you, start making room for yourselves, which I think is what we are trying to do. So yeah, it's and it's and it doesn't take much. It's literally a microphone like this that you can get on like Amazon for like what 13, 13, 14 dollars, um, and a laptop and sitting in and sitting in our living room. But this is it. It doesn't take much. Um, use what you have and know that what you bring to the table is always going to be more than enough. I love that. To change it up for you a little bit, Mara, I would love for you to, it was so, so perfect. I, I teared up. Mara, for your last question, if you could talk about um, anyone who feels like they don't have a support system to pursue this and your mic drop moment in that in five, four, three, two, one. Um. I think that it's valid and I think that no one's gonna understand why you do what you do, why performing is so important to you. So take it from someone who doesn't have a support system, who leans on the the shoulders of friends and the shoulders of friends that have become family, that the reason why you wake up every morning and your need of getting up and the reason why you get up is to perform. The reason why you get up is to share your art with someone else. When the re if the reason why you can't imagine yourself making money any other way than sharing your gift to someone else, that is the reason why you keep going. That is the reason why the naysayers are wrong. That's the reason why the voice from your mom, your cousin, your auntie in the back of your head saying, I don't understand why this is happening. That is why you have to prove them wrong. And sometimes you have to prove yourself wrong because those voices get super, super, super loud. Sometimes they over, they're louder than the voice in your, your head. They're louder than the uh, song that can come out of your, your mouth. Sometimes, <clears throat> the voices that say, isn't this a, a oh, you want to be an actor? Oh, is there a plan B? The, you For you to stand on your own and say, no, there is no plan B. This is all that there is. And this is all that I want to be. Stand by that. Keep your feet planted. Remember why you started. Remember why this feels so good. Remember why it makes you feel so good to wake up every morning and to sing a song and to see the smile on somebody else's face. Remember how after that dance, even though it was hard, how huffing and puffing and it was a workout and the dance teacher tried to kill you that day. Remember why you started and you stepped out on the dance floor in the first place. That is what's going to keep you going. That's what's going to make you successful because it's not always about talent. It's about how hard you work. And as long as you continue, continue, continue to work hard, it will show through. Oh, I didn't know that I was about you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like, that was. Jenna. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm going to need to, <laughs> like, that was so good. All right. I, uh, we gotta, we gotta end this. Where can people find you on social media for your ghost light podcast? You can find us on Instagram at ghostlight underscore podcast. You can email us. We love to hear from everybody. Ghostlight.scripts at gmail.com. Um, Personally, you can yeah. find me at mara.williams, M-A-R-A-H dot W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. And you can find me personally at It's Elena Walton, I-T-S-E-L-A-I-N-A-W-A-L-T-O-N. You can find that's on Instagram. That's all my handles um, across the board. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Anchor, uh, Spotify, 
uh, pick a platform, any platform. We're, we're on we're there. Out there. Um, so yes, listen, you can, and you can expect a new episode from us on this coming Monday, July 6th. We're going to be discussing Barbecue by Robert O'Hara. And our podcast yes. comes out every other Monday. Every other Monday. You can oh, thank you so much for coming on. I have like, uh, my husband and I are doing open up our theater company in Pittsburgh. So if you ever move there, just know you will deal with favoritism. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we love to see it. It's about who you are so talented and so inspiring and so kind. I'm like, ah, I've become more of a fan. All right. Love you guys so much. Seriously, just thank you for this. I, I, I'm just, I'm grateful for all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very Bye, much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.